Brian Bolina. Yes, yes, we all know. <laughs> Welcome back to the Cold War Show, episode 89. Papa Bear, how are you today? Doing okay. Obviously, one of us has just eaten a protein bar because they're all jazzed up. They're on the jazz. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> I just wanted to say that yeah. the, the Stalin speech, February 9th, was not, repeat, not a declaration of war on the United States. Was it perceived that way? Yes, by some. But the point is like, look, we got to keep this going. We got to protect ourselves, just like you said, because you you de- fucking capitalist countries are going to keep fighting each other, taking each other's resources. We've got to be ready. So that's all we're doing is we're just making sure that we don't get caught with our pants down again. I don't know what Russian is for pants down, but the point is we're going to make sure we're not ever caught with our pants down again. So we're going to keep this going. We, we feel it's the best course, but that is the way that is perceived in America was very different from how Stalin offered it. Um, yeah, it was nothing, as I said in the last episode, that speech was nothing that he wouldn't have said before or during the war. Um, there were no direct threats towards the United States. He was really just talking about the security of the Soviet state and the continuation of the communist experiment and, uh, that he continued the world just being, uh, the same as it was before, same as it ever was, same as it ever was, same as it ever was. It's the fight for survival of the Soviet system against the capitalist encroachment. However, Truman hears hears this and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I need more information. I need more cowbell. I need more details. I need something. Somebody get me more information. What exactly exactly did Stalin mean by that? Don't fear the reaper. Take one, roll it. All right. One, two, three, four. going to be a great track. Guys, what's the deal? Uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but I could have used a little more cowbell. <laughs> so, let's take it again. And Gene, yeah. really explore the studio space this time. You got it, Bruce. I mean, really. Yeah. Explore the space. Okay. I like what I'm hearing. Roll it. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh... It's obvious from Stalin's perspective as well as from Truman's that these guys aren't going to be lubing up (laughs) like they did in Yalta and and sliding around in a big waterbed together anytime soon. No more. The lube is out. (laughs) Right out. Big. In fact, it it was a big hit in lube stocks. Lube stocks took a crash when this speech came out. All of the lube manufacturers around the world were crying, jumping out of skyscraper windows. Oh. yeah. yeah. So, from Stalin's perspective, it was the same as it had been before the Great Patriotic War. Uh, there was going to be no sort of broad-ranging cooperation between these two different socio-economic worldviews. Now, this is when uh, 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 Jimmy Burns says, "Hey, I need more cowbell. 
I need I need to get more cowbell. And the guy who playing Gene, who has the cowbell, right. is not Will Ferrell, but it's George Keenan Thompson, another SNL uh, mean... long time player. Yeah. Tom. Thompson. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Thompson. What's the guy's name? The actor. Keenan Thompson. Keenan Thompson. What I said, George Keenan. That's what I said. Oh, I missed that. Sorry. George Keenan Thompson. Who? Who? who now the jokes. Who was? Now the jokes completely. Well, give it to me again. Give it to me again. <laughs> Don't worry about it. George Cannon. This is when George F. Cannon, the F stands for fuck you, I'm George Cannon. <laughs> George Cannon, who was a counselor at the American Embassy in Moscow, um, was he was a bit of a Soviet expert, was asked to explain Stalin's position, what he meant by the speech. He wrote his famous telegram, the long telegram, which, by the way, was not 8,000 words, as it's often referred to. It was 5,500 words that he sent to the State Department. Um, By the way, 5,500 words is about uh, three episodes of our show. Wow. That's that's how long it was. So it was about a three-hour response. And I think we can Um, agree that as far as telegrams go, that's pretty long. Concerning the tech... Particularly when he was... When, when they were when they were reading it out to the telegraph <laughs> operator, how he had to say stop. <laughs> how many times did he have to say stop? Uh, yeah, I uh, used a macro. Go ahead. Now it's known as the long telegram, as I said. Now we've mentioned George Kennan a few times in the past, so much so that we've got a joke about his name. But I think we should stop for a minute and do a bit of a mini bio. All right. I mean, after all, this guy did more to shape United States policy during the Cold War than pretty much anybody else. Okay. So George Frost Cannon ah. was born in 1904, uh, and his mother died two months later from a ruptured appendix. Ah. But Cannon, for most of his young life, thought that she died giving birth to him. Oh, fuck. Who does that Somebody to a child? Told his father, I think, Cunt? said, "Your mother died." Yeah, exactly. Imagine growing up with that. You I killed mean, your that's, mother. That's yeah. God, it's, it's basically he's Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't a midget, I think. But I still, mean, we're all grateful for that. Last thing we need is more midgets in the world. Hey. We've already got you. Hey. <laughs> Apologise to all of our <laughs> listeners of short stature out there, like Martin Darlington. He's, he's he, when I got to Doha, he sent me a text saying, "Look for guy, look for someone in the airport about Ray's stature," and he was right. As were the three guys in Athens who robbed me on the tram. They all I, I didn't tell you this story, but when these guys robbed me, but before they robbed me and they were crowding around me, I thought. They were your fan club because they were short, pudgy, middle-aged guys balding with beards. Is Ray here? Yeah, I thought, oh, it's the Ray. I thought Athens Comic Con was on and they were in cosplay. They were in Ray Harris cosplay. Oh, these guys. Yeah. Good one. That's how they – and they probably were. That's how they knew they could disarm me <laughs> and that I wouldn't be threatened by them because they dressed up as you and I just laughed, like dressing up as Oompa Loompas and I'm like, oh, isn't that cute? And then they fucking robbed me. For people who haven't heard that story, yes, I actually got robbed on a tram in Athens. Oh, they picked my pocket right. of 70 uh, euros. And I knew it was happening, which is the worst bit. Right. I knew it was happening. I was fighting back kind of against it. I half knew it was happen- yeah. happening. It wasn't 100% sure, but I kind of felt like they were trying to pick my pocket. 
and I could feel something. And they, they were by they would they wedged me in these three guys, and I thought I could feel fingers trying to get into the upper pocket of my jeans, front upper pocket where I had a bit of cash right. and a card. And um, I stuck my hand in there, and it was a long tram ride. It was about half an hour, and it was packed, and it was hot. And then right at the end, as we got to our stop, as the doors opened, I was trying to get off. They slammed into me so hard, I had to pull my hand out of my pocket and grab a bar so as not to fall over. Right. And that's when they did it. One second, boom, I was out, and they picked my pocket, and they disappeared. Uh, And I knew immediately. Immediately, I got out, and I said to Chrissy... Fuck me. I think some guys in there were trying to pick my pocket. I reached my hand into my pocket and all my cash was gone. Yeah. And I turned around, ran back into the tram. They weren't there. Looked down the street. They weren't there. They yeah. vanished they like got Kaiser it, Sose. They got, they got it down to a science. Bastard. And I spent an hour looking for them after that too. Walking the streets ready to beat the fucking shit <laughs> yes. out of them. Yes. I was like, I don't care if they're armed. I'm going to beat the fucking crap out of at least one of them. You don't fuck with an Aussie in Athens, man. <laughs> I was going to go fucking Chris Helmsworth on these motherfuckers. <laughs> and I'm sure with your fame, we could have easily have recorded, you could have recorded from a Greek prison. I don't think that would delay the show at all. I think we would have been fine. At all. Yeah. In fact, we you know would have been a boost to the show. We would be <laughs> Live from Athens prison. <laughs> yeah. As he's being ass raped, this is Cameron Raleigh. Hi, everybody. So for a long time, George Kennan thought his mother died in childbirth. Fuck. Um, and he obviously wasn't close to his father <laughs> <coughs> growing up. No. Uh, his father remarried, and at the age of eight, Kennan went to live with her in Germany in order to learn German. It was the first of several languages that he ended up mastering, wow. including Russian, French, Polish, Czech, Portuguese, and Norwegian. Damn. Cutting language. And this would have been around... 1912, when he went to Germany, just before World War One, He eventually got a bachelor's degree in history from Princeton in 1925 mm. and went to work for the United States Foreign Service, uh, which had only been created the previous year. He was going to be a lawyer, but figured he couldn't afford to go to law school, right. so he joined the Foreign Service instead. His first job was as a vice consul in Geneva, in uh, Switzerland. Shout out to... Adrian. Uh, Adrian Vipf, yes, uh, our listener from Geneva. Adrian, uh, bad news, bit of bad news. Uh, thank you for the pocket knife that you gave. Uh, oh, you gave yeah. us each a, a, a pocket knife with your company's logo on it. It's an actual Swiss pocket knife from Switzerland. Yeah. Unfortunately, a few days later, I had it in my pocket when I tried to get in the Colosseum, and they took it off me and threw it in the bin. They said, you either go back outside... Oh. Or you lose it. Uh, now, a number of places had taken my knives off me in Florence and then given them back yeah. to me. After, at the end of the tour, these guys just binned it. So one of a security guard at the Coliseum now is the proud owner of that knife. But thank yeah. you for the thought. Um, then, anyway, George Kennan was transferred to a post in Hamburg where he was sec- selected for a linguist training program for three years. And that is, in fact, when he did become a cunning linguist. <laughs> In 1929, uh, he went to the University of Berlin's Oriental Institute, where he studied the history, politics, culture, and language of Russia in greater depth. And he was following in the footsteps of his grandfather's younger cousin, also called George Kennan, who was a major 19th century expert on Imperial Russia. Wow. Cool. 
And then by 1931, George was in Latvia where he worked on Soviet economic affairs. And when the US uh, began formal diplomacy with the Soviet government during 1933, mm-hmm. Cannon went to Moscow with the US ambassador William C. Bullitt, famously portrayed by Steve McQueen in the 1968 cop film Bullet. I don't know whether that's true or not. No, that is not true. Okay. Uh, but I'm glad that you've learned enough about me over the years to pick it up that that wasn't true. No, but it's a great film nonetheless. Okay. I tried to find a good clip to play, but there's no good clips in the film. There's just a lot of car chases, really. Gotcha. Um, but a, a fact about Bullet, though, um, he was actually fired from that job in 1936 when a journalist blew the whistle on him for being involved in illegal money exchanges in Russia. Mm. He was also briefly engaged to Roosevelt's personal secretary and lifelong companion, Missy Lehand job. <laughs> no, sorry, just, just Missy Lehand. Yeah, Lehand. Um, that was a first date, though. That was a nickname. Right. Missy the job. Um, but she broke off the engagement after a trip to Moscow, during which she reportedly discovered him fucking Olga Lepeshinskaya, right. who was Stalin's favourite ballet dancer and sometime mistress. Ah, yeah, that uh, put the downer on things. Yeah. So Roosevelt's personal secretary, who was with him when he died, right. Missy Lehand, Caught her husband, her, her fiance, fucking Stalin's mistress. Wow, you can't make that shit up. Like sands through the hourglass, <laughs> these are the days of our lives. Of the State Department. Now, bullets. Yeah. Bullets' second wife, by the way, was Louise Bryant, mm-hmm. author of Six Mo- Six Red Months in Russia, played by Diane Keaton yeah. in the nineteen eighty one film Reds with Warren Beatty. Mm-hmm. He divorced her. <sighs> God. When he found out she was having a lesbian affair with the English sculptor Gwen no. Le Gallienne. Bad move. Can I watch? That's your response to finding out. Of- yeah, right? Like, Can I join? Thank you. At, at the least, can I watch? Yeah. Just let me watch or video <laughs> it and I'll watch later. We're good. We're good. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> like, what, what was he thinking? Um, by the way, before I move on, I forgot to mention something in the last episode. Right. I talked about the journalist who broke the whole Soviet spiraling yeah, uh, thing, Drew Pearson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, something interesting I found out about him when um, John F. Kennedy won the Pulitzer Prize for his book Profiles in Courage, mm-hmm. 1957, I think, um, which I have on my bookshelf somewhere. Um, uh, uh, Pearson was on uh, television or radio or something at the time and outed the fact that Kennedy didn't even write it. It was written by Ted Sorensen, his speechwriter. He said, you know, is this the first time somebody's won a Pulitzer Prize for not actually writing a book? Which made me think of Trump and the art of the deal, which didn't win a Pulitzer, but... Right. Damn. He became famous, really, for that book um, <clears throat> that he also didn't write. Um, anywho... Back to Kennan. Right. Now, Kennan served as deputy head of the mission in Moscow until April 1946. Near the end of that term, the Treasury Department requested that the State Department explain recent Soviet behaviour, yeah. 
such as their disinclination to endorse the IMF and the World Bank. And that's why Kennan wrote his long telegram to Jimmy Burns, the Secretary of State, um, the long telegram. And, and it's worth pointing out, j- just so so this will make more sense, that um, um, he did... Uh, um, Kennan did have uh, an affinity for pre-revolutionary Russian literature and music. Obviously did not like the Bolsheviks too much. Their actions, their philosophy was not a big fan of Stalin's purges. Uh, and he, he, he really did believe, based on what he had seen and what he knew, that it was dangerous to continue working with Stalin after the war. Was it convenient at the time? Yes, it was best for everybody. But now that the war is over with... Uh, these guys are master manipulators. This will not end well for us. So, like you said, he's going to put it into a telegram and he's going to try to explain what to expect and what not to expect from Moscow in the future. Doing a little bit of your own Christopher Walken there. It's <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> it is hour two and I'm starting what? to get a little woo-bell. Yeah, um... You know, in, in the long telegram, and I'm going to read bits of it um, in a minute, but Kennan explained that basically uh, the Kremlin had a neurotic view of world affairs, mm-hmm. which wasn't actually uh, anything to do with the Bolsheviks or the communists. Yeah. This was a traditional uh, Russian view of the world. They had an instinctive sense of insecurity. Uh, this is this is a very very old Russian view that everyone's out to get us. Uh, not something you know. We often talk about Stalin being paranoid, and he was, mm-hmm. but it wasn't just Stalin. This is this is a Russian part of the culture mindset. Yeah, yeah. yeah. big part of the culture. Yeah. Now, what changed though is after the revolution, this inherent sense of insecurity on behalf of the Russians was combined with the communist ideology that the capitalists were out to get them and they needed to batten down the hatches because, you know, according to Marx and Lenin, uh, the capitalists would try and shut down any socialist or communist experiment because if it succeeded, it would be a threat to the capitalist, uh, the success of capitalism and the capitalists. Right. So they needed, they needed to crush it. So you had... Traditional Russian insecurity combined with that ideology and it led to the Soviet Union after World War II. So it, was, it wasn't a new thing. It was just the latest rendition of a long Russian tradition of diplomatic cynicism and duplicity. Like their view was you don't tell the truth yeah. in international negotiations. Um, if you lower your guard, you're just a gullible rube. Right. You're a mark. You deserve it. Yeah. Like I was in Athens on a tram. By the way, do you know why that uh, somebody who's uh, you know the 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 focus of um, a con man is called a mark? No, it's because back in the old days of uh, the the travelling, um, what did you call them? Like not the circus, the show. What do you call the circus? Uh, the, the 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 fucking carnivals. Right. Right. Uh, um, if there was a particularly gullible rube walking around, one of the carnies would pat him on the back with a hand, with a chalky right. hand. He would leave a mark on his back so all the other carnies knew that this guy was a rube. Right. Um, and that's why it's called you're a mark because oh, cool. you were marked. All right. They would mark him out so he was easy to spot for everybody else. Mm. 
I obviously had one of those. I think, in retrospect, it was the SPQR yeah, hat. The hat. That Thanks, Tony. Tony Kynaston yeah. uh, gave us each uh, when he left us in uh, Florence. Yeah. Um, so thanks for that, Tony. <laughs> no, Rome. They left us in Rome. Right. Um, then again, yeah, I don't. I, I think I'm standing out in Greece. I think I, yes. I, I was a foot taller than everyone else, <laughs> and uh, fifteen shades of whiter white <laughs> than anyone else in Greece. So yeah, and yeah, and about. That. 20 kilos lighter, I right. think. But those things and the hat. And walking around with an American wife and a kid with red hair. Right. Probably, Probably even without the SPQR. The red, would have the, red, hat. the red hair was the mark, yes. But the SPQR hat didn't uh, help. It didn't, it, no. They should have feared you. They should have, if it had been a tattoo, mm. SPQR, mm. fucking A, but no, mm. it was a hat. On my forehead, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so this has always been the attitude of Russian leaders, right. um, but it had just sort of been magnified and given more sort of ideological depth because of the sort of struggle between Soviet socialism and the imperialist yeah. West. And I thought it was, um, um, I think um, this is how I interpret it. When I read a condensed version of, uh, of Kennan's uh, thing, it was like pretty much, look, take Stalin at face value when he says that the time of cooperation is over. Again, this is not a declaration of war, but but take him at face value. Yes, he does manipulate and he does lie, but he means this. It's time for you to get on with your um, agenda and he's going to get on with his. And so uh, there's really nothing you can do to earn Stalin's trust. I think, and you made this point several times in the previous episodes, Roosevelt had probably come closest to building any kind of trusting relationship with Stalin. Truman certainly is not going to do it, especially the way he started off by bitch-slapping Molotov. Um, but there's nothing you can do to earn, because of their, their cultural proclivity to see diplomacy as a you know game of fools, there's nothing you can do to get these guys on your side. It will never happen. Yeah. So... Uh... Let's get into a bit of the long telegram. So this is the opening to it, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'll pick and choose bits and pieces to read. Answer to Departments 284 February 3rd involves questions so intricate, so delicate, so strange to our form of thought, and so important to analysis of our international environment that I cannot compress answers into a single brief message without yielding to what I feel would be a dangerous degree of oversimplification. Now, stop there. That could basically be our excuse for our podcasts. Um, I think George Kennan got there before us. Listen, we could have got to the Cold yeah. War in under 100 episodes. Sure, we could have done that. Could have, should have, would have. But uh, that would have been a dangerous degree of oversimplification. Which I think... Think of this as our... Yeah. Our long telegram, ah, just in podcast form, or long love and instead letter. of it being, but yeah, five and a half thousand words, uh, ninety episodes <laughs> of eighteen hundred words each. It's about uh, one hundred and fifty thousand word long telegram, <laughs> and some music, <laughs> and some dick jokes. Some dick jokes. <laughs> uh, anyway, I continue. Um, part one. Basic features of post-war Soviet outlook as put forward by official propaganda machine are as follows. A. 
USSR still lives in antagonistic capitalist encirclement Mm -hmm. with which, in the long run, there can be no permanent peaceful coexistence. As stated by Stalin in 1927 to a delegation of American workers, in course of further development of international revolution, there will emerge two centres of world significance. A socialist centre, drawing to itself the countries which tend towards socialism, and a capitalist centre, drawing to itself the countries that incline towards capitalism. Battle between these two centres for command of the world economy will decide the fate of capitalism and of communism in the entire world. Mm. B. Capitalist world is beset with internal conflicts inherent in the nature of capitalist society. These conflicts are insoluble by means of peaceful compromise. The greatest of them is that between England and the US. C. Internal conflicts of capitalism inevitably generate wars. Wars thus generated may be of two kinds, intra-capitalist wars between two capitalist states and wars of intervention against the socialist world. Smart capitalists, vainly seeking escape from inner conflicts of capitalism, incline towards the latter. Yeah, I see that. So capitalist countries are either fighting each other or they're ganging up to fight the socialists. D, intervention against the USSR, while it would be disastrous to those who undertook it, would cause renewed delay in progress of Soviet socialism and must therefore be forestalled at all costs. Hmm. Like, uh, yeah, if you come at us, bro, we're going to win, but uh, it's going to set us back and we don't want to have to do that, so let's avoid it if we can. Yeah. And, and I think I think it's... E- I'm sorry. I just the the other point that that Kennan made was yeah. This is the USSR. This is not Nazi Germany. They're not out to take the world over. They're certainly not in any shape to do it now, especially with the war over. However, you do have to watch out for Stalin. He is like anybody else going to seek opportunities. So just keep that in mind when you're thinking about Russia as far as expanding into other parts of the world. Opportunities where it's going to increase their security mm-hmm. or strengthen their economy. Right. Yeah. Right. As every country does. Exactly. Quite honestly. Uh, e. do, 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 uh, F. No, E. e. You're right. Yeah. Conflicts between capitalist states, though likewise fraught with danger to the USR, USSR. Nevertheless, hold out great possibilities for advancement of socialist cause, particularly if the USSR remains militarily powerful, ideologically monolithic, and faithful to its present brilliant leadership. And they are, we already know they're going to remain uh, militarily powerful because Stalin said they would. And I think what he means here is uh, when there are wars between two capitalist states, inevitably the economy is destroyed of at least one of those and the people are despondent and that creates opportunities for the to, to, for those people to start moving towards socialism. Mm-hmm. If capitalism fails them, then they'll be right to move towards socialism. So it's a good thing for the, social, for the USSR if uh, the capitalists go to war with each other. Right. Even though, as they found in World War I and World War II, which both started as wars between capitalist countries... 
um, the Soviets can find themselves embroiled in that, even though these were not wars of their making. Right. F, it must be borne in mind that capitalist world is not all bad. In addition, by the way, uh, if I'm missing out words like the here, it's because it's a telegram and this is how he wrote it. Right. Um, I'll try and insert proper grammar uh, yeah. where I remember to. You're good at inserting. Um, you know it, baby. It must be borne in mind that the capitalist world is not all bad. Again, this is Kennan talking about the Soviet official view. In addition to hopelessly reactionary and bourgeois elements, it includes, one, certain wholly enlightened and positive elements united in acceptable communistic parties, mm. and two, certain other elements now described for tactical reasons as progressive or democratic, whose reactions, aspirations and activities happen to be objectively favourable to interests of the USSR. These last must be encouraged and utilised for Soviet purposes. Does he give any examples? I, I'm just trying to understand that one a little bit better. There are certain aspects of capitalism that are acceptable or agreeable or positive as far as socialists are concerned. Yeah, the genuinely progressive, liberal, ah, demo, you know, gotcha, okay. liberal elements of let's say the Democrats back then, or you know, guys like Henry Wallace, or to a lesser extent. Uh, you know the, the the Labor Party in the United Kingdom. We've already explained that they didn't really like each other very much, but they were more acceptable than the Tories. Okay. Anyway, that makes sense. But it's not like all everyone. It's not like uh, they hate us for our freedoms, right? They didn't uh, see everyone in the capitalist world as bad. There were some people they could work with that were good, that were right minded, and and then there were the others or, that were, or in this not. case, left minded. Yes. Yeah. True. Very good. Mm -hmm. G, among negative elements of bourgeois capitalist society, most dangerous of all are those whom Lenin called false friends of the people, namely moderate socialist or social democratic leaders, in other words, non-communist left wing. These are more dangerous than out-and-out -out reactionaries, for latter at least march under their true colours, whereas moderate left wing leaders confuse people by employing devices of socialism to cement interests of reactionary capital. Mm. Like I would look at the DNC today right. in the United States or the Labor Party in Australia and say they fit into that camp. They claim to be left-wing, but they're not really left-wing. Right. And that quote from Lenin, there's one that is almost not, not quite word for word, but the, the sentiment uh, that Lincoln uh, that he he he, appear, he appreciates people for being really who they are and not the uh, alloy of uh, hypocrisy. So you know if if you're if you're a dick, let me know that you're a dick, so I know what I'm dealing with. So yeah, that's a very uh, universal truth. Yeah, but I think this is a broader point that in the West, <clears throat> and it's true today, you have political parties that claim to be on the left, like the DNC, right. Democrats in the US and therefore people who are members of that who who, who listen to those people also think they're uh, on the left mm -hmm. and that like our friend Jay David well I'm a progressive and I want Hillary Clinton to be president no, no. You, those two, two things separate. do not go right. together yeah that's not progressive yeah. but people think they're progressive they think they're on the left because they support the Democrats whereas the Democrats are center right uh, these days on most issues. 
um, mainstream or centre right. right. They're certainly not a, 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 Left a, a leftist party. Yeah. I mean, there are maybe elements within the DNC, the Democrats, like a Bernie Sanders now. He's not an independent anymore. And Elizabeth Warren or a, a, a whatever this new chick is. Mm-hmm. I can never remember her name. Too complicated. Um, yeah. Can I, I'll just call her Barry. Sorry, your name's too. Can we just call you Barry? Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, uh, that's what he's, they're talking about. Right. There. They're dangerous because they confuse people uh. Uh, and take them away from the true left. Anyway, Kenan continues. So much for premises. To what deductions do they lead from standpoint of Soviet policy? To following. A, everything must be done to advance relative strength of USSR as factor in international society. Conversely, no opportunity must be missed to reduce strength and influence collectively as well as individually of capitalist powers. And again, everybody does this. Let's let's just remember that. True. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, We need to build up the strength of the USSR and weaken the capitalists as much as possible. Yeah. Zero sum game. B. Soviet efforts and those of Russia's friends abroad must be directed towards deepening and exploiting the differences and conflicts between the capitalist powers. If these eventually deepen into an imperialist war, this war must be turned into revolutionary upheavals within the various capitalist countries. Clever. Standard, but clever. Yeah, now keep, keep in mind that from a... Marxist-Leninist point of view, uh, they they want to end capitalism as much as as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, exploiting the conflicts between capitalist countries and leading to war, which creates an opportunity for a revolution, is part of the plan. Right. There. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, C, democratic progressive elements abroad are to be utilised to maximum to bring pressure to bear on capitalist governments along lines agreeable to Soviet interests. Um, so we're going we're gonna to support those people in any way that we can. Yeah. D, relentless battle must be waged against socialist and social democratic leaders abroad. I don't understand that one. Relentless battle must be waged against socialist and social democratic leaders abroad. Hmm. Hmm. Now, I had read previously that Stalin went after other left-leaning leaders in governments that, <clears throat> even though they were semi on par with him, if they were if they wouldn't um, kowtow to him, he needed them ruined so he could rebuild. Um, so maybe that's what he means. But that's just a guess based on hmm. earlier things I read in his biography. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, he wants to take down the fake left right. um, and install communist left, but um, against socialist, I don't understand why they would include socialism there. But anyway, let's move on. Again, this is Kennan's view of right. things. I don't understand what he's getting at that one. Anyway, the rest of the telegram makes for fascinating reading. It's quite long. Obviously, I'm not going to read all of it. But his description of Stalin-era USSR really sounds like a lot uh, of the present United States to me. Take this, for example. This is a quote from the telegram. The very disrespect of Russians for objective truth, indeed their disbelief in its existence, leads them to view all stated facts as instruments for furtherance of one ulterior purpose or another. Mm -hmm. There is good reason to suspect that this government is actually a conspiracy within a conspiracy. 
And I, for one, am reluctant to believe that Stalin himself receives anything like an objective picture of the outside world. Now, I posted that on Facebook yesterday. I just changed Russians to Americans and Stalin to Trump. And it reads like this. The very disrespect of Americans for objective truth, indeed their disbelief in its existence, leads them to view all stated facts as instruments for furtherance of one ulterior purpose or another. There is good reason to suspect that this Trump administration is actually a conspiracy within a conspiracy. And I, for one, am reluctant to believe that Trump himself receives anything like an objective picture of the outside world. Now, if you read that in the New York Times today, you would not bat an eyelid, right? Right, right. (laughs) When and where and how did we lose the ability to see anything as just a fact? You know, science isn't a fact anymore. Everything's uh, nothing more than your opinion based on to support your claim. And everybody brings their own claims to the party and they duel with each other with words. I mean, yeah, I don't know. We, we just lost that somewhere along the way in the last 30 years. Yeah, it's this, you know, postmodernist view of facts and a little bit of... Uh, Christian uh, 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 creationist uh, rhetoric, George W. Bush and uh, evidence-driven agendas and Stephen Colbert's truthiness. Um, You know, I think that uh, America has developed this problem with evidence and scientific inquiry. Not, Not everybody, of course, but large parts of the United States. Anywho, um, it's kind of amusing to me how similar that sounds yeah. to uh, America. Eerie and fun. And of course, we know this was Putin's job all along. We know that when Putin was a young baby sitting on Stalin's knee, <laughs> uh, Stalin gave him a, a secret letter right. that said, uh, this you know, is your mission, should you, should you choose to accept it, is to turn America into um, the Soviet Union. Ta-da! All right, well, let me, let me finish uh, just by reading uh, some of his conclusions. As to how this approach should be made, I only wish to advance by way of conclusion the following comments. One, our first step must be to apprehend and recognize for what it is the nature of the movement with which we are dealing. We must study it with the same courage, detachment, objectivity, and the same determination not to be emotionally provoked or unseated by it, with which doctors studies unruly and unreasonable individuals. Mm. That's nice. We're going to take a very. We need to take a very scientific view of what's happening. Now, of course, that's not what happened. <laughs> America went. Close. Oh my God! The Russians are coming. <laughs> yeah. And. Yeah. And of course, you know, later in life, um, before he died, Cannon expressed publicly many times in books and in speeches his deep, deep regret over what he had, what he had built. Um, how this was, you know, what America turned into, right. the Cold War, etc., uh, and the industrial military complex and all that kind of stuff was not what he had in mind. Yeah, I, and I don't want to get too far ahead, so you can stop me. But basically, what he's doing, and and that was a point that I wanted to bring up later. But uh, he's like, 
this is me generally explaining the uh, Russian culture, the Russian psyche. Here's a little bit of Stalin. Um, they, they're not strong enough to go out and try to take anything because they have to deal with their 20 million dead and 10,000 villages being destroyed during the war because of the Germans. But they'll seek opportunities. So all we have to do is contain them, which shouldn't cost us too much. We don't have to build up a massive military. We don't have to build 10,000 nuclear weapons or whatever. We just have to contain them where we can. So he's given them an explanation. He's given them a very basic blueprint that should be pretty straightforward, something that Truman can wrap his brain around and to to just go from there. Like you said a minute ago, that's not how this unfolds. That not That's not how this turns out. And they... Almost like what he did with Burns, Truman leaves this far behind or turns it into something that Kennan did not intend for it to be. And not just Truman, but right, right. Came because of Truman, well. they have to do it too. But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Point two, we must see that our public is educated to the realities of the Russian situation. I cannot overemphasize the importance of this. The press cannot do this alone. It must be done mainly by the government, which is necessarily more experienced and better informed on the practical problems involved. In this, we need not be deterred by the ugliness of the picture. I am convinced that there would be far less hysterical anti-Sovietism in our country today if the realities of this situation were better understood by our people. Mm. There is nothing as dangerous or as terrifying as the unknown. It may also be argued that to reveal more information on our difficulties with Russia would reflect unfavorably on Russian-American relations. I feel that if there is any real risk here involved, it is one which we should have the courage to face and the sooner the better. But I cannot see what we would be risking. Our stake in this country, even coming on the heels of tremendous demonstrations of our friendship for Russian people, is remarkably small. We have here no investments to guard, no actual trade to lose, virtually no citizens to protect, Mm. few cultural contacts to preserve. Our only stake lies in what we hope rather than what we have. And I'm convinced we have a better chance of realising those hopes if our public is enlightened and if our dealings with Russians are placed entirely on a realistic and a matter-of-fact basis. Wow. That last part was brilliant. I never thought about that before. There, There is no interests, physical interests, in the Soviet Union that America has to look out for. It's all about what could be and what the future may hold. Yeah, and the first part of it as well, like talking about educating the people yeah. so they're not hysterical. Now, this, <clears throat> like our, um, the guy who left that review criticizing mostly me, for trying to say we should, we should try and understand Stalin rather than just, uh, you know, declare that he was evil incarnate. Right. This is still, you know, a, a view. Oh, fuck, I got into it with some dumb cunts on <laughs> Facebook uh, last night. Um, some, somebody on Facebook posted a photo of a guy in military fatigues with a beret on his head, um, his back to the camera, pointing a gun at two young women, and it looks like there's a couple of dead women behind him. And the caption on the picture is, uh, this is the picture of Che Guevara that should be on T-shirts and send this to all your lefty friends kind of thing. Right. 
Now, I started off by pointing out to him that it actually wasn't a photo of Che Guevara. It was a photo uh, taken from El Salvador in the uh, late 80s. Wow. Um, Slightly different. So it was of the FMLN uh, revolutionaries. Um, And that Che was a doctor, and he was going on about Che being a brutal killer, and I pointed out, well, Che was actually a doctor and a humanitarian. Um, and it launched into this whole fucking thing, and, I, and all of his friends started piling oh on me from high. And it was this typical thing, well, if you love Cuba so much, why don't you go and live there? And if it's so great, how come people are trying to leave all the time? And I'm like, well, maybe it's because they've been under harsh economic sanctions for <laughs> 70 years, and they're a tiny little island with very little resources. They grow sugar cane and a bit of fruit and some tobacco yeah. and everything else they need to import, yeah. and you've blocked them off from the rest of the world. And then they're like, oh, Che was a brutal killer. And I'm going, well, they said even in his own, this guy, uh, Anton Taylor was the original post. He's like, even in his own diaries, he admits to enjoying killing. I said, really, have you read his diaries? Well, no, but (laughs) I've read enough. I said, well, you know, maybe you should actually read uh, his diaries uh, before you pass judgment. Uh, Are you saying he didn't kill anyone? I'm going, well, yes, but he was fighting a revolutionary war against a brutal regime that was supported by the United States, by the way. He goes, well, there's no excuse for killing people. Mm. Right, okay, so that's fine. You're you're a pacifist. You don't believe in just war. You don't think any country should get involved in war for any reason at any time. You don't believe in execution. You don't believe in war. He goes, no, I'm not saying that. (laughs) Right, okay, so... Did you feel like it was three Greeks around you on a tram all over again? Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, the, the amount of dumb in America uh, never ceases to amaze me. And But it's this, this again, it comes back to this, um, the, the propaganda against uh, communism in all shapes and forms that Americans have received um, over 70, 80, 90 years uh, and their inability to actually do what Kennan is saying. Yeah. And, and take a scientific, reasoned, rational view, study, read, inform yourself. He's saying, you know, the government should do that. And obviously the government did the complete opposite. They right. just, you know, sponsored crazy propaganda, outlandish propaganda for, you know, close, yeah. close to a century now. It's been a century since the Russian Revolution. Well, tell me if I'm going too far, but it sounds like Kennan is saying, look, the government in America should explain to the American people that Russia is not perfect, but it's a pretty poor country. They've been through hell. They've been through two major wars. They've lost 20 million people. They're trying to struggle. They're tough, but they're, but they're, but they're, you know, they, they could use our help or at the very least they could use some understanding or whatever, but you need to explain to them the plight of the country as it currently is. And so the American people will have something that they can, hold on to and not just the absence of information where anything is possible to project into that. Or, you know, if, if you don't have a, a, any information, maybe you'll assume bad things about them, but explain to the people what's going on over here, the real, the real situation, not what you want them to think. And not that they're some sort of mythological um, primordial evil that's awoken from a sarcophagus in <laughs> Egypt and is coming to get us in our sleep. Oh, that'd be a great movie. No, would sure. be, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure somebody's done it. No, I don't think anyone's no. done that ever. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, point, yeah. point three of his conclusion. 
Much depends on the health and vigour of our own society. World communism is like a malignant parasite which feeds only on diseased tissue. Ah. This is a point at which domestic and foreign policies meet. Every courageous and incisive measure to solve internal problems of our own society, to improve our self-confidence, discipline, morale, and the community spirit of our own people, is a diplomatic victory over Moscow worth a thousand diplomatic notes and joint communiques. If we cannot abandon fatalism and indifference in the face of deficiencies of our own society, Moscow will profit. Moscow cannot help profiting by them in its foreign policies. Yeah, how many times have we said in various shows, if you've got a strong country, a strong economy, a strong culture, no one feels left out, no one's being oppressed, it doesn't matter what some other country is trying to sell you, you're like, no, nah, I'm good. But yeah, if you leave people behind, they're the ones who are going to want to seek solace from wherever they can get it, even a, even a different it, form of government. It's like a marriage, Ray. That's how I look at it. Is it? If you're... Going down on your partner, right. male or female, right. every day, yep. making sure God that they OED. Right. OED. OED is the secret to a happy marriage, Ray. I don't know if you know that. No. Yeah. I, I live and breathe by the idea of the, 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 the one If I have to distill right. the magic of a successful relationship in one thing, it's OED. Right. The principle of OED. Right. Because they're too tired to go out and cheat on you. Or they're too satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> no. OED, for people who are trying to figure it out, is orgasm every day. Oh. Especially you on a give each other if you can get it. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, <laughs> don't reveal <laughs> things told to you in private about what we did in Athens. No. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Again, video, but go ahead. Um. Yeah, you give each other an orgasm every not give yourself. Right. Oh, that's where God, people fall down. Doing yeah, it wrong. No. Give each other an orgasm every day. Right. It's remarkable how happy a marriage <laughs> can be. It's all about it. And if you don't do that, right. then don't be surprised if they go find someone else to give them an orgasm. You've got to give them orgasms every day. Right. Yeah. Is there any like surprise um, orgasms or do they know you're coming or <laughs> <laughs> you just gonna just jump up and start rubbing or yeah. i don't know yeah. attack them <laughs> tie them up give them an orgasm say fucking take it i want a happy marriage lie there shut up you're gonna come whether you like it or not don't tell me you're not gonna come anyway yeah. i'm gonna try this later on tonight so um mm. i'll let you know mm. how it goes please don't yeah. send send video <laughs> Um, yeah, like, so when you have people who, when you have 99% of the people that don't have much money and, and they're struggling yeah. uh, economically and they don't have healthcare and they, they, they can't afford an education and they're feeling left behind and, the, and they're not getting an equal share of the spoils. The blacks, the Mexicans, the women. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. They, they, they're going to prison for smoking a little bit of dope. Right. Um, they, they don't have control of their own bodies, all this kind of stuff, then yes, they, they can't get married because they like sticking their dicks in people's buttholes. Um, or a different color. They, they, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. So you look after your people and then they're not going to be uh, a target Tempted. for an alternative right. worldview. What Wisdom from <clears throat> Keenan Thompson here. What's up with that? <laughs> it was the second best thing he wrote behind What's Up With That. 
Point four. We must formulate and put forward for other nations a much more positive and constructive picture of the sort of world we would like to see than we have put forward in the past. Ah. It is not enough to urge people to develop political processes similar to our own. Many foreign peoples, in Europe at least, are tired and frightened by the experiences of the past and are less interested in abstract freedom than in security. They are seeking guidance rather than responsibilities. Mm -hmm. We should be better able than the Russians to give them this. And unless we do, the Russians certainly will. So in here we see the beginnings of the Marshall Plan. Gotcha. Something that Kennan was pretty much the architect of. Nice. Who would later on go, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Point five, the final point of his conclusion. Finally, we must have the courage and the self-confidence to cling to our own methods and conceptions of human society. After all, the greatest danger that can befall us in coping with this problem of Soviet communism is that we shall allow ourselves to become like those with whom we are coping. Oh, I like that. And that leads me back to... The very disrespect of Americans for objective truth, indeed their disbelief in its existence, leads them to view all stated facts as instruments for furtherance of one ulterior purpose or another. There is good reason to suspect that this Trump administration is actually a conspiracy within a conspiracy. And I, for one, am reluctant to believe that Stalin, sorry, Trump himself receives anything like an objective picture of the outside world. I'm sure he doesn't. Yeah. So the good news is Stalin's going to do what Stalin's going to do. You can't blame him, but if we can contain him, we don't need to fight a war. We don't need to spend a ton of money. Let's just contain these guys. Let's educate our people. Let's take care of our own home so our people won't be threatened or tempted with messages of uh, whatever communism might offer them. And we can weather the storm. We can we can we can use our knowledge of of what we know about Russia, Russia, and we can contain this potential problem. But do it calmly, scientifically, not emotionally. And make sure we um, look after our own backyard. Ah, uh, treat treat our people well, right. and don't become like the guys we're trying to contain. Smart, brilliant. 5,000 words? Yeah. Brilliant. Fucking Kenan, uh, good guy, man. Smart, um, rational. Yeah. Everything I've read of Ken, I've read a couple of his books, read a lot of these papers, his speeches. Um, absolutely. There's a reason why, even though I don't know the general public has heard of him, but there's a reason why he is esteemed, probably the most esteemed um, political analyst uh, slash diplomat in the history of the United States, I think, by people in those circles, yeah. is because um, he fucking nailed it. Of course, they stopped listening to him after a while, yeah. and uh, he spent the last decades of his life going, hello, <laughs> hello, is this on? Uh, I don't, this is not what I, this isn't what I no. was, and they're like, shut Take up. Take my name off of it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so here's some an explanation. Here's a plan. It's on a Trump, excuse me, <laughs> it's on a Truman level for understanding. Now, what is Truman going to do with this 5,000-word telegram? 
Well, we'll get to that in the next episode. Yeah. Uh, before that, I just want to read out some uh, recent subscribers and thank oh, them cool. for coming on board. Right. Uh, we have Ro... Ro- uh, Mo- Let me start that again. Mo Romaniuk. Ooh. Uh, Martin Tillman. Chris Wagoner. J.M. Reynolds. Ian Regnier. Justin Drown. Manuel Salomon Weber. Liam Daly. Uh, Daniel De, ba- De, De uh, is that an L? De Blasio, I think. Sorry, my font is too small mm. to read that. Daniel De Blasio, Trevor Bell, hey, local Trevor. boy, Trev, Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. If you're an Aussie, you should be listening to that podcast. It's a classic. Caleb Plumridge, uh, Jonah Manning, and Deroda Jabika. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for uh, subscribing to the show, and uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to be talking a little bit about what Truman did after uh, he got this telegram, Um, but also the Russian response to this telegram, the Novikov telegram. But But that... But most importantly, Cam will be doing his Churchill uh, accent. Oh, yes, we will also... Truman, uh, Churchill comes back into the picture next week. But that's next week. Look after yourselves, folks.